Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Wedgehead Pinball Podcast. My name is Alan. I am one half of the Portland Pinball Bar Wedgehead. And my name is Alex. I'm one half of the Wedgehead Pinball Podcast. And that's about it. And not affiliated with the bar in any way. Yeah, not paid to be here. Anything positive I say about his uh, about his bar, you know, you can trust is genuine. <laughs> what are we talking about today, Alex? Today we're talking about, you know, a topic near and dear to my heart, boutique pinball manufacturers, which basically means in today's pinball landscape, everyone outside of Stern, I would say, right? Would you consider JJP a boutique? Uh, I don't think JJP's boutique anymore. We're immediately throwing acronyms in. It's Jersey Jack. <laughs> yeah, Jersey Jack Pinball. Uh, yes, we're talking about boutique pinball manufacturers. I call it the rise of the small guys. Mm. Do we have uh, actual title episode or episode titles now? I'm trying to. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Now, when we mean boutique manufacturers, we mean in this day and age, what's what's been happening over the last decade or so has been a lot of people starting up new pinball companies. And they'll they'll come out with a prototype game. They'll take it to some shows, and they will then try to manufacture it. Yep. Usually taking deposits, <laughs> taking a lot longer to make the game. So they said from, they were going yeah, to different approaches from there. Some good, some bad. Yeah. So what we're saying is, when we're talking about boutiques, we're talking about companies like Spooky Pinball, American Pinball. There's a brand new company, uh, Barrels of Fun Pinball, mm-hmm. Dutch Pinball, Pinball Brothers, Haggis, Home Pin. Pinball Adventures, Multi- Multimorphic, oh, yep. there we go. Hexa, you remember Hexa? Oh, yeah. You sent me that. Yeah, that's the Spanish guys, huh? I think. Yes, they made that weird, I don't know. Yep, Space And then Hunt. there was that ninja game that you just sent Turner, me. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, so, there's a so lot So anyway, there is a lot <laughs> of them popping up. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Are we going to work from, are we going to kind of like do a rundown here of the brands from biggest to smallest? Uh, I don't, I thought I sort of did them in biggest to smallest. You kind of did there. But they, these are all companies that started really small, started with some people and they really are like kind of can do. Mm-hmm. They, they're DIYers that decide to make pinball and most of them did. Most or, of them did. Or tried the to. The ones we listed are either new new or they've successfully put games out. We didn't touch on any of the real fun ones yet. Yeah. You want to touch on the fun ones? Not necessarily, because I don't <laughs> think anyone really needs to get too far into it, but I think it's impossible not to mention Deep Root specifically. As an example of like worst case scenario. Yeah, I think that there's some of these companies, the failed companies will need their own proper deep dive. Yeah. Like I think us doing, we don't have it in our notes yet, but I think we should add a Deep Root pinball episode. Yep. I think someone should do like a Netflix documentary about Deep Root. That is an Dude, insane for story. For real. He's hella litigious though. Yeah, so. that's the funny part. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's all so good, dude. It's, it's so, so good. Funny. Yeah, he's he was a con man. Uh, for no doubt con man. Um, but... Uh, some of the failed companies are Suncoast, Zidrare, Highway, Team Pinball, Skip B. There's, there's been others. Yeah. What, what I'm trying to get at is what's happening now in the pinball industry is very interesting. That's never really happened before. And we're seeing it in our daily lives as well. You know, you and I are podcasting. And we're able mm-hmm. to release this. Yeah. That this used to be a medium for real broadcasters. Yeah. It is with kind chops, of nuts, huh? right? Like. Yeah, now any schmuck can do it. Yeah, now two idiots can be in somebody's basement <laughs> and talking about pinball and yeah. release it to the whole world. Yeah. And but it's the same way with pinball. And and those are both good and bad. 
right? Yes. Like it's democratizing to a certain extent. You get to see different philosophies, different designers or, or people that want to start building pinball that would have never got a chance to in the, in the old system. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, there used to be a lot more pinball manufacturers. Like if you go further back in time, you had you had four or five pinball manufacturers at at, at yeah, any big time. Big players in the game. Big players, all but they were but they were all big ish. No, I mean there are some clearly bigger than others, but yeah, there were a lot of guys that you you'd see a lot of different a variety of pins on route. Yeah, like if you if you if you go back to like the sixties and the seventies, you ha- I mean you had Bally Williams back when they were separate companies, <laughs> right? You had. You had Gottlieb, you had Chicago Coin. Yep. Then, then you had European stuff like Zacharias and Sagasas and yeah, Sonic. Interflips. And, There's a lot. Once yeah. we get into Spanish pins, that could also be its own topic. And maybe those Spanish pins, maybe those are the first boutique makers. Uh, yeah, but they were still. I think we need to kind of come to terms with what what defines a boutique pin to you. Okay, so I the way I look at it is like in back in the day. And and even today, like the way Stern makes pinball machines, the way Jersey Jack makes pinball machines is they have a factory, like a dedicated mm-hmm. factory with full time staff and a production line. So they have to feed their production line. They have to buy parts in bulk and they have to assemble them and get them out the door. What happens with these boutique guys is they are making games at much smaller scale. So they're they'll build a game, and they'll be like, "We'll we'll make." I mean, what what did they make of America's Most Haunted? What did Spooky do? Oh, is that a hundred? Yeah. That's so they were like, run? they came out and they were like, "We designed a game." They showed the game. It was America's Most Haunted. We're going to talk about Spooky here for a little while because they're yeah. the most successful boutique manufacturer. I think they're the most credible as well. Like, if you buy a Spooky. You're definitely not you're definitely not buying a game that's <laughs> built to the same quality standards as say a Stern. But you know you're gonna get a game. You which are is gonna not get your game. The case for they all will boutique, deliver what they say they're gonna deliver. Yep. They can give you a schedule. They have a production schedule, which is, you know, something that a lot of boutique yes. guys struggle with. Hitting this hitting the and they, they started small and they've scaled up, but they're still small potatoes to Stern. To what I think is the only true real pinball manufacturer today is Stern. We have we have mm-hmm. what used to happen is there was a lot of big manufacturers jockeying for market share. Now there's now there's one, and then there's a yep. bunch of little guys fighting for the scraps. Yeah, it's hard to get actual numbers on it because Stern doesn't put out production. Yeah, but I would say Stern's probably. 80 to 90 percent yes. of all the pins i've i've heard i've heard 90 to 95 percent i think it's it's got to be going down a little bit with all the extra competition and the and the booty competition yep. has gotten better like the games are looking more finished yeah, but i do want to sure. talk more about spooky and i want to i want to give ron or alex the floor here sorry he goes by many names the water boy yeah. ron alex <laughs> uh if you call if you hear me calling him that it's <laughs> because he's a man of mystery but as long as i've known alex he has been how do i say this charitably a raving spooky fanboy no no, no that's I, not true you know i just think they're the best the best pinball company out there d- okay uh, a spooky apologist <laughs> maybe i will definitely i'm 
I'm all eager to give them second chances and third and fourth chances and, give, and make excuses for shortcomings on games because I like the company and like and what create, they represent. And you'll create which is dummy the accounts only... on Pinside to defend them, right? <laughs> no, no. Oh, that's fabricated. Okay, that's just something I made up and wrote in the notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's just I like I like Spooky because they did so many things right that other boutique guys did wrong. They don't take big money deposits up front. They don't make you pay for your game up front. They actually can hit a schedule. They scaled organically. They've stayed, you know, everything's sourced in their little small town and everything. So there's a lot of stuff I really like about them and how they handle the company. They've also made some really good games, some really pretty games, some that might be both, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's all up for debate. Everything, everything's subjective. But at the end of the day, um, the objective things you can look at about Spooky are very good. The subjective things, you, you know, not everyone might, like how their games play and sometimes the code can take a little while to yeah. get there or whatever but you know they're you know they they do stand behind their products i think at the end of That's the day true. and it's they like have this, good customer service they've been making scooby-doo so for full disclosure i own a rick and morty which was the first new inbox pen i bought and i own an ultraman which was the second new inbox pen i See? bought raving and spooky fan ultraman <laughs> <laughs> and and ultraman uh the code, it's still. I mean, and like, you had to be talked off a ledge to, to from spookies. buying a Scooby Doo new in box as well. That's true. Right? That's so, true. So, yeah. It's safe to say that when Spooky releases a game, you want it unless they can they can prove to you otherwise why you don't need it. <laughs> yeah, which is very different than any other right? company releasing. But, yeah. but, and so, but that's a big part of that for me is that I like owning games at home. And I've said this since we first met. I like owning games at home that I can't play everywhere on location. Sterns actually work when you see them most yes. of the time. Spookies, when you see them on location, traditionally don't have such a good reputation. And so you don't see them as much. And so it's one of those things where it's like it's easy enough to keep any pinball machine working at home. Anyone that complains about maintenance on a home use pinball machine. Oh, that's is that's one hundred percent true. There's I mean, maybe if you're troubleshooting an old pin or something, troubleshooting can be difficult, but the kind of stuff you have to do on a modern pin with factory support is so easy that it's just laughable. You just might have a pin that's down for a week while you're waiting yeah. for parts. But to go back to that, yeah, you don't see the spookies on location. So I do go into every time they release a game, I kind of, you know, I'm already excited. I'm a potential buyer, I guess, immediately. So it is kind of funny when you say it like that. Cause I guess that makes me. You're a fanboy. Fan okay. <laughs> I still don't consider it because I think I'm pretty hard. I'm pretty critical on the I games I think you're themselves. invested, though. I think the thing about but it is like I am. what makes this boutique thing interesting is like Stern's a, Stern's a monolith. They're they're a mega corporation. Even Jersey Jack yeah. is now. So like, but spooky, you're like, oh, it's Charlie, and it's his whole family That's work why. there. It's exactly. like a literal it's, family business in a small yeah, town. I mean, it's literally it's like comparing like Stern as Walmart to like Spooky as the mom yeah. paw shop, and you're like, yeah, I'll go pay twice as much for apples and <laughs> apples might not taste as good but you know i like the people that run it and that's kind of how i approach yeah the they're, pens to some they have degree. some quality issues you're oh, you're gonna see that across the whole board we're using spooky as because they're kind of the biggest and the most known and they're really the most reliable yeah and but yeah but that's what we're sort of touching on is like buying slash operating a boutique game so you've had some experience buying a few boutique games We've owned a few. Yep. We've usually bought them secondhand, not not brand new. Like we got our, 
Yeah. Uh, Total Nuclear Annihilation, which is a spooky game. We got that secondhand in a trade, mm-hmm. and we had an American pinball Houdini. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that yes at a lot. I'm trying to be nice here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're trying not no, to dog on no, things no. too much. It's, there's good things about but, that game. I think overall that thing's a steaming pile of trash, but I think it's I've had fun playing. I've had fun playing. Okay, so there's so here's the thing is is like I think with Ron or Alex here, sorry, I'm gonna keep calling you Ron. <laughs> People are gonna be so confused. No, I think the thing about like I'm an operator. We have a bar, mm-hmm. so we have to care about the games working and like being and and not only working like out the box and putting them on the floor, but then also are they going to earn like are people going to play yeah. them like because the games That's... aren't cheap and when spooky first started they were selling games for cheaper than stern so when you would get some of the weird quality stuff like hot glue on the connectors or you get some of the goofy stuff that they would do you'd be like eh, you know like they're they're just doing yeah, you can, it you're like it's small it's small batch and they're doing it at cheap prices which they still are pretty affordable, but, but they're they're gotten to the point where their their pins now compete with Stern Pros, and I, when you when you get into yeah. that realm, and and I always thought that from an operator's perspective is like all these boutique companies are are great, provided you get your games. We'll touch on that in a little bit. Hmm. Um, but if you're buying from a reputable company like Spooky, you will get your game. It may take a year and a half to two years, but you'll get it. Likewise with Chicago and American, yes. all of the ones I've been putting out a few titles. You know you're gonna get it. They're, they're ones, reputable companies. American, Chicago, they're, they're all reputable companies, but they make games slowly at a much smaller scale. But when we're talking about operating the game, you kind of need the game you need there. The game, you don't really, it's, it's really inconvenient to like lay out a deposit and then wait and then wait and then wait. Yeah, it's not, the boutique model and the products they often deliver aren't really aimed at They're operators. not. Now, operators do buy them. And they do try to do it. And they're usually that's why you'll hear the frustrations on their voices in Facebook groups or on Pinside or whatever. They're like, I bought this thing and it's already fucking broken. Like, you know, and like it's been down all weekend or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Which I imagine. I mean, it's completely different. That's the big thing that I think a lot of people don't really realize, especially when they're, you know, arguing with each other on Pinside or Facebook groups or whatever. Is that coming at this from a collector, a home pinball player perspective versus an operator perspective is completely different and you know like i said spooky you might have a board fail and and a week later they send you a whole brand new board no questions asked which is awesome and it's cool that they always are eager to do that but when you're an operator and you have you know if it's one of your two games sitting in a bar you don't want that game down for a full week the bar owner is going to get pissy and the customer base the pinball location base is it's fickle like if if they show up to a place and the games don't work they might not want to go back to that place and then they might not. Yep. You know, there's dude, it's insane how how quick people are to dismiss locations, pinball locations based off of a single, single experience. time that they went in and stuff was broken. Yeah. And in people, I mean, people are quick to dismiss. Oh, games that's what too. I was going to say is like if you show up and a game's always broken or, or it was broken the first couple times you played it or you showed up and the code <laughs> was just broken. Do you remember when? When Foo Fighters came out and there was the ball trail misadjusted <laughs> yeah. and someone yes. took a picture, posted the stuck ball on Reddit, and they're like, oh, no, you're more QC <laughs> issues for Stern. And it's just a joke because you're like, dude, that's a 30 second fix. This game came out of the box today. Just chill. But no, he's already shit talking on the Internet. Oh, with yeah. No idea. What he's, when 007 no idea. came out, it, there was just people, loud people on a Facebook group that 
pinball operators and they were just like this game's never gonna earn this game sucks it's not finished the, the shots suck like this game sucks like it doesn't even say <laughs> james bond it said you know it says dr no like nobody's yeah. gonna know uh, our fucking james bond earns great dude fantastically <laughs> dude it's a gomez game it's a stern it earns very well i love it yeah everyone all the casuals call it dr no instead of 007 doesn't it doesn't matter it turns out They'll they play still it, will play the pinball it machine it, because it's yeah. there it works and and what's in there is fun so did it release yeah. with shallow code yes but the but will Stern update it? Yes. And they already have. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry, we're kind of, I, I brought us off topic no. a little bit, but <laughs> I guess that's all the podcast is, is just a series, a series of, of diversions. No, but I, I think that, I think it just, we're speaking to the difference in companies, but really, but what we're talking about is the challenges of manufacturing very complex games without scale. So mm-hmm. what the boutique companies struggle with is they don't have the scale. And the scale means right. when you're building 100 or 200 or 400 of something and Stern's building thousands. Like they're right. If they're if Stern's making a run a game, they don't nobody releases their numbers. But if we look to the pinball past, say Stern is making 3, 4, 5, 6,000 games That's what per I, yeah. title release and Spooky's making 1,000, that's a big difference. Yeah. That's it, it's a big difference. And that's spooky after they scaled up. And that's after they scaled up for, up 10, for years. 10 years. And so mm-hmm. what what's happening is they don't have the amount of full-time staff. They can't keep them. They don't have the the square footage. They don't get the price breaks on nuts and bolts and and all the little parts cuz they can't buy 5000 of them. They yep. have to buy, you know, a few hundred of something. And I think one of the pitfalls of Spooky specifically, and I just am speaking a lot about Spooky because it's what I have personal experience with, but they change hardware and stuff. They're always trying new stuff from game to game in in hopes of improving. And sometimes it works good and sometimes it doesn't, but it it can be tough because it's like, how many iterations of game does it take to find a connector that doesn't work itself loose? Dear God. The Spooky connectors, they've apparently done a new generation even since my Ultraman, I think Scooby Doo has new ones that are supposedly even better. And my Ultraman connectors have actually been awesome. My Rick and Morty connectors are yeah, our TNA, our TNA connectors fiddling. Are... I've replaced a bunch. All the punch through ones suck. And you're just like, come on, man! You've made. I mean, Rick and Morty is a small batch game. They made 750 of them, but at that point, they'd already built a couple thousand pinball over machines. yeah over that their means... years, not at once. Right over that's many about, titles. But that's the thing. You're like a couple thousand. Stern does that many of one unit. Yeah. Of one time. I was just ta- I was talking to an operator recently. I, I can say it out loud. We've talked about him on the first episode. The Pops Pinball guys on the East Coast, mm-hmm. and they have a Big Lebowski, and they posted and like, "Hey, Big Lebowski's back up." So I message them because we don't have one. We don't buy boutique games. So yeah. spoiler alert: before our conclusions at the end of this podcast, we don't buy boutique games, <laughs> and I'll, I'll explain a little bit more why. But I was talking to them, and I was like, "Oh, I have a couple questions for you. One: Is that game reliable?" And two, does it earn well? And then he said, mm-hmm. no and no. So <laughs> he said, <laughs> you're like, well, that's a compelling argument to spend twice. Exactly. Pro cost. And that's the other thing is that. For, <laughs> and he's like, for 12K, absolutely not worth it. But I guess that their location uh, bought it and they just operate for him. So they didn't, it's not a game that they bought and operate. So. Yep. And that's one thing that I will say. I think there is value, even if the games are unreliable and even if the games don't earn that much i always think there is something 
to be said for having some unique titles at oh, your place. Oh, one hundred percent. Just to make it more of what a pinball you location. About? You're talking about Wedgehead here. That's all we do, dude. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, but that's the big thing is that some operators think they have to buy boutique stuff, and you're like, you can also go grab any EM, and you'll probably have the only one of those on location for oh, five hundred yeah. miles. So there's kind of yeah. different ways to go about how to make yourself I, yeah. stand out. And some guys go, some guys go the boutique route. You see a lot of locations that only have games released in the last ten years. And those will be the ones that are always hankering to buy a new American or a new Spooky or whatever they think will, you know, work. And that's good. I, I mean, I like opportunities to play these games and I respect them for putting their money where their mouth is. But it's, um, yeah, it's just different ways to go about that. I think it's noble because you always want to support. You're rooting for an underdog. We all love an underdog story. Right. As a small business owner myself, as someone that, you know, we, we built Wedgehead from the ground up with our own hands. We've made lots of mistakes. There, there have been issues that bigger companies don't have to deal with, right? Like, so it's like I empathize with the smaller companies, and I obviously right. want that. But if there's a if there's an issue of like we have to decide what we're gonna buy with limited funds, and we have to decide what's best for our business, and we need to buy a quality product. And really, for us, it's come to the point where my business partner he he owns the games. And so he's the final say in what we buy or what we don't mm-hmm. buy. And at the end of the day, we don't buy boutique games right now because we're operators. We're not private collectors. Right. It's 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 not worth taking a flyer on for us. And it takes a valuable floor space, not only in Wedgehead, but if we yeah. put it in a different location, it's it's something that we already have a lot of really cool old games that we like a lot. Why are we going to buy a brand new game for a lot like like if you take an old game that we think is cool, like Frontier or Mystic oh, or yeah. something cool like that, like an old George <laughs> Christian game, and we put it on location, yeah. like the game's not going to earn a lot of money, but also we bought that game for $2,000 years ago, right? <laughs> right? So it's like, we're like, okay. It's already a why are we, gone. Why are we going to spend eight, nine, ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 on something that's going to earn it, yeah. like one of those games? And be less reliable, and we might not even think it's that cool. Yeah, and that's something we haven't even really talked about in our 20 minutes, is like what we actually think of how a lot of these games play, just from our own personal... Well, I think that's how this is how we're going to end, is because I think we we appreciate... we both You and I both appreciate... I appreciate anyone who goes out and fucking does anything. Because it's yep. the easiest thing in the world to criticize... People will criticize everyone. Everyone's a fucking critic. Everyone will criticize everything you do, but everyone has an opinion on how something should be done. Very few people go out and actually do much of anything. So if you put it on the line and you do what you say you're going to do, I have I have the utmost respect for Chuck and Spooky Pinball in particular, for Normal and for American Pinball and for all these other companies, for the ones that actually release games. Total respect. Yep. Do I like most of the games they make? No. As far as like, do <laughs> not even from an operator. As far as like, like for it's you working, going up and playing. Do it? I enjoy playing it? No. Most of the time. See, I'm you know I'm you know the voice of positivity yeah. on the podcast, and I enjoy most little boutique games. If you put one next to other things, I might play other things more. But I like the variety sure. always. There are some that though I think I don't know. I guess if we're we're going to wrap this up here pretty soon, but I would say if you were going to pick one 
boutique game from the last Tina. 10 years or whatever. Okay, one that's not a spooky, so no Scott Denisi's. Or I They're guess the no only spookies. two good ones that ever got made. It was Scott Denisi made, Rick and Morty, <laughs> and TNA, and they're both phenomenal games. Both of those games are like I legitimately with, great. You haven't you haven't put much time on or any time on Galactic. I Tank haven't played Force, it yet. And that thing's sweet, Listen, I'm a dude. Dennis Nordman fanboy. You know this about me. We haven't covered this on the pod, but we will in the future. Dude, there's good games because uh, there's some that I don't know. There's always ones that I want to play more, but the problem is you don't see them because they don't earn and they're expensive. But I'm hoping Alien. I'm hoping that we see more Alien. Alien's pretty cool. The price. Alien's That's pretty, pretty cool. cool game. I'll say that too. Yep, I think I I like Big Lebowski. I play it every time I get the chance. Usually I haven't played games. it. It looks um, fun. Past that, I would play. There's a lot of them because it's like they are so rare, and that's still like the novelty to it. So when you're like that kind of player that wants to play everything. Which some of us in the hobby are. Sure. You're trying to check everything. I'm always off excited the list. to play a new game. Always. Yeah. However, I it's like that. A lot of times they will. I'm gonna throw your Ultraman under the bus. I think it's honestly one of the worst shooting pins I've ever played. Ever. Ever. No. no you can't clunky. say that. Like really, it's it, it irritates polarizing. me. Uh, but I think that we can probably do a very interesting episode one day of games that we like leave us wanting to quit pinball. And I think that I'll mention that game. I promise you. Uh, Unbelievable. There's no <laughs> pin that bad for me. <laughs> but we're going to we're going to end this. I, I will say that there is a there is a final warning for anyone that's new to the pinball hobby is and you may be looking at it, you're like, oh, wow, there's all these options now. There's all these options. I would implore you if you're going the new unbox route, at least your first game buy a stern like pick. They have a lot of options. You're going to get your game. You're going to get your game quickly. And it's gonna and it's yep. gonna be reliable and it's gonna have a good resale value if you need to move on. But yep. then you can go ahead and buy a boutique because I do think the boutique games are 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 made for the home collector market. I'd say my my follow up bit of advice on that is for your second game or when you're looking at a boutique one, don't buy one if it's the company's first pin unless you know somebody at the company or you can go look at the game yes. physically. Too many people yes. have been burned putting money down for a predator. Or uh, Raza or some shit that never came that never came through and just don't do it. Everyone everyone sees it. They get drawn in like moths to a flame. A fool and their money are quickly parted. You will find that is true in pinball in general. There has been <laughs> a lot of companies. We mentioned some of them. Suncoast, Sidware, Highway. Suncoast, I don't think that they really uh, lied to anybody, but Sidware, Highway uh skip b and the whole predator fiasco as well as deep root yeah there's there's a whole history of like at best they were incompetent at worst they were full-blown con men that just took people's money and ran pyramid schemes and started telling you yeah and the way you can usually tell is if you don't have that sixth sense here's what they'll do they will announce a preview of a game they'll start a social media thing They'll get it on Pinside. Maybe they'll start a thread. They'll take it to a show or two. They'll bring some prototypes. They'll let people kind of play it a little bit. And then they'll start taking deposit money. And then they'll be like, mm -hmm. well, we're going to start shipping these games three months from now. Three months comes up. There's a new post. Oh, something came up. Right. And they keep stalling. And, yep. and there's and it gets that sunk cost fallacy where you have money down and you don't want to back out because you want to you want to get your game because you're so excited about it. Yeah. But. It, it's happened so many times and it, it just pays to be smart, especially I see a lot of people that are in and they're like, 
I just saved up this money or I got this inheritance or I got whatever chunk of money and I really want this pinball machine. I really want my first pin. You want a pinball machine. So don't buy an idea of a pinball machine from someone you don't know. (laughs) Right. 100%. Well, I think I think that's a I think we covered boutique manufacturers pretty well. We didn't dive into specific ones super hard other than spooky, Mm. but that's because you're a spooky fan and they they are. Yeah, we haven't had one. And and I think I think that they are the best at what they do. Um, yeah. As far as the boutique manufacturers, and they have made some really fun games. I think TNA is legitimately one of the best games of all time. Uh, and Rick and Morty is also excellent. Scott Denisi is a fantastic new designer. And I think that's yep. what the beauty of. That's exactly. That's the thing with the pinball companies. Some of them. He, you yeah. get somebody like Scott who gets a chance to design these games and everyone's like, holy shit, this is awesome. Yeah. You get a chance to do something different because it's like, hey, like. Spooky took a gamble making a production game without yeah. ramps in whatever that was in 2015, 2016. And um, yeah, Stern wouldn't have done that. Sure. At that time. Or, or, or they have a bunch of in-house designers like John Borg was already there. Steve Ritchie's already there, right? Like yep. all these guys that are established that are good designers that they're not going to lose their jobs. But where's the room for the new blood, which will be another episode that we do in the future is about the new blood in pinball, new design philosophies and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to. I thought this would be a very interesting topic, especially since <laughs> Alex himself is he's a big fan of boutique companies, and he always big, gets very excited. Guy. I get excited about everything in pinball. So, and yeah. I will say that at Wedgehead, every single time a new game gets released by a new company, I get a million DMs from people that are like, "Dude, did you see this? And <laughs> when are you getting one?" And so if you're listening to this podcast now, we're not like we will get every new stern that comes out. <laughs> you'll see. Yep. And and occasionally like Chicago is making their first game, but they've made a bunch of remakes that we bought and trusted and they're making yep. Pulp Fiction. So we put an order for that. So that's technically I would say they're basically a boot. Yeah. They're boutique in the pinball world, even though they're attached to raw thrills and they 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 manufacture yeah. a lot. So they're kind of their but, own but thing. pinball is like their side hustle. But they're good at mm-hmm. it. So we trust them. So we're going to get one of those. But the answer is my business partner and I, we don't buy them because it's not economically smart yeah. or a location play. It's the unfortunate reality of that. That's how it goes. Can't buy and them we're not, all, And man. we're not against it in the future. And if 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 one of these companies grows bigger or they start making absolutely killer games that you cannot ignore, we'll buy them. I mean, that's the thing about it is like, yeah, if. That's the, that's what I know. If I know anything about Rhodes, your your business partner, if uh, Labyrinth comes out and he plays one and it kicks ass and he thinks or, it's awesome, or he's in he a Facebook group with the other oper- operators and like, dude, this thing's earning <laughs> buckets of cash. He's going to scramble to get one. Yeah, one hundred. So because operators yeah, follow the money, you have to. I mean, that's literally their job. So that's. Uh, but well, I think I think we've covered it pretty well. End on that note. Um, yeah. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Wedgehead Pinball Podcast. I'm going to sign off like I always do, which is to implore you to go out and play some pinball on location. You're supporting small business. You're supporting operators. You're keeping pinball alive in its natural habitat. And uh, I will say that since we talked about boutique manufacturers, if you haven't played any of these games or heard of these companies, 
for the love of God, go support an operator yes, that's brave enough absolutely. to operate. Because they're heavies. dying on the vine, man. <laughs> they're exactly. taking a big risk that you don't even know that they are. <laughs> they could have just yeah, bought a Venom. Play, go play that Oktoberfest. Yes. You have to pay nine grand yes. for that thing. So play, play some of these games. If you see them and they're working, go out and yeah, play If you it. see something and you go, that's not a Stern, and you don't know what put it money is, into put, it. Money put a into lot it. of money into it. Put a lot of money into it. <laughs> Yeah, maybe you'll like it, but if not, at least it went to a good cause. Until next time.